Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. All right, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. For a large chunk of these older episodes, I've had to cut the original intros as part of a migration process. So all that means is we're going to get straight into the interview here with the name that you clicked on. No warm-ups, no preamble, just a straight one, two and in. You ready? One! Two! When you tell your friends that you haven't seen for a while or distant family members that you feel open enough to talk about this kinds of stuff with, you know, how, how do you kind of sum it up? Uh, I try and give them 
not the whole story, but part of the story. There is there's always a huge pressure to be seen, especially when you take on a creative job in the arts. There's a huge pressure, especially from family and friends, to prove that you are succeeding. Um, so you know when when we're like self-releasing a record and we're completely independent some of the signifiers of you know what they perceive success in a creative industry to be we don't have so um i'm usually stuck kind of floundering being like well yes yeah, so there's it's coming out on spotify and people are impressed by that um and they go oh you've got a label behind it and i go uh yeah yeah definitely label um and then they're like, oh, so what label? And it's, I go, oh, it's called Infinite Suds. And they're like, oh, well, they, we haven't heard of it. And I was, I'll be like, yeah, well, we set it up ourselves, um, which is <laughs> another part of the conversation with um, how I think f- for many bands like us, it's going to have to be independent releases if you want to think about a career um, that is going to actually sustain itself. For me, when I, you know, when I see Moshi Moshi and Bar None Records, I think, Wow, that's that's successful. Yeah, um, absolutely. The the what is frustrating though is um, we've had both those labels are now not part of this record because we didn't make the splash that they hoped we would. Um, Which is ridiculous because this album, this album's my favorite. I, I was so excited when when your press person said we could do this interview because because Floater is just. Is it's, I've, I love it's such an incredible record. It's oh, my favorite. It's so my much. favorite record of the, of the year by by far. Wow, I think you. it's incredible. I think it brings. I think it brings together so much of this kind of like Brit trash rock with <laughs> with with some other like kind of like Beck stuff. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, um, we wanted to stretch ourselves, challenge ourselves a bit, um, and push ourselves to include new ideas or new sounds um i think somehow we didn't quite push ourselves to the extent that we thought when the album was completed um we i'm immensely happy with how it sounds but um it's interesting looking back at it now and i'm starting to question myself why didn't we push ourselves more on this front or why didn't we include this interesting bit here um so i (laughs) it's always hard to talk about i find it really hard to talk about floater on two levels because uh it was about two years ago that we started recording the album and since lockdown has started we were already on to the next thing um right it's one of the interesting things that's happened in um since we've had to isolate and what's that next thing (laughs) <laughs> ableton ableton changes changed everything that's not to put floater down i love i love the record but um it was a kind of tying up of what had happened to us since right in came out um which included me coming out as a drag queen and uh, as a gay man and also rejigging some members of the band uh, due to various factors yeah I, I find that such an interesting conversation that people are quite scared to talk about actually and I think it's I love talking about it I think it's so interesting when you know creative creativity doesn't really come from a council you know what I mean like real pure creativity I don't think can come from 
more than a couple of people? Yeah, there's, you know, I've been doing, you know, music related creativity, if you like, for 10 years. And it takes 10 years to realize what can work creative creatively, when to include people, when not to include people, when is a good time to be to try and be creative and when possibly isn't a good time to try and be creative mm. there's a lot of factors that go into that so i think one of the interesting things that has happened since benji left the band is taking it from three to two people has changed the dynamic entirely because three you get these awkward two-on-one situations that can upset people whereas when you have two people there's more conversation that can occur and you can reach a a better conclusion that way than having people side up against each other. Absolutely. And that, and that's far easier a thing to happen than you might think. Yeah. Um, especially when people are being creative is a very personal experience. So people get very attached to certain ideas or certain sounds and being able to drop those attachments is much easier when you have, you, you've got, one other person to converse with or rather than two people ganging up against you if you like no absolutely and one thing that makes me think and it's probably not directly related but like i think some of the best stuff can come from the you know not to get all metaphorical but the ashes of something you know sometimes you do need to burn it down to start fresh and to get this real fresh breath you know i the way i imagine creativity is through repetition you create something different so it's not like you, it doesn't just pull out of nowhere. That's a, um, that's a Brian Enoism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it kind of relates to some, some of the part-time jobs I've done um, or some of the academic work I've done that understanding the rhythms of creativity and what is an, what can be considered an invention moment. Um, right. And often part of that repetition includes an element of destruction, um, as you said. I'm so glad you've brought up the part-time jobs thing. You've done my job. <laughs> so, so often I have to, I have to really shoehorn it in. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I did a geography degree um, at the be- while we were recording Weird Little Birthday Girl. Not Weird Little Birthday Girl, Weird Little Birthday, the album, the first record. And I did a dissertation based on the repetitive nature of gigs and how each night you are the aim is to create the same experience in a sense but through that repetitive nature you come up with moments of invention and then those become part of the repetition so if for example i choose to do a new fill on one night and i'm like oh i'll keep that understanding why repetition can lead to moments of invention i think it's really important for on a on a wider scale basically like how we understand cultures rather than trying to understand them from an external perspective we can understand more about how rhythms and people come together to create moments and cultures rather than just describing them if that makes sense yeah it makes me think that like you know when when you do do repetitive things you find yourself kind of sort of subconsciously adjusting tiny things and and rather than pointing in a direction you kind of lean into it yeah um i think uh it's makes more sense it made more sense for me when i was playing to understand that 
I didn't have to recreate the exact same performance. And that's why live music is such an interesting experience, because there is always the opportunity for invention. Of course, some people feel threatened by that. Yeah. And that is, I think, one of the, as a, as a musician and someone who's on stage, you have the power to create that invention and you have that power has to be used for positive experiences there are a lot of people who have Mm. that power and can use it for you know and yeah it doesn't create a positive experience um i understand and and i think that we all have on a certain level we all have that kind of thing you know within us trying to drag ourselves down and you've got to fight against that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's recognizing or separating your ego from the art that you make. Right. Speaking of like the, the death of the ego. and Yeah. So I've kind of come up with the mantra that I want written on my gravestone currently, um, which is, I was as great as I was because I destroyed myself. Um, and to me, that came to me from doing drag. Um, so for a bit of context, I started looking at drag from watching RuPaul's Drag Race. I started getting involved in drag as a way to try and understand a femininity that I had been forced to keep inside because I feared people, I feared the idea of being gay. Um, and so drag allows me to explore my femininity and understand and therefore understand my masculinity i think that's a really important point that i understand my masculinity from experiencing my femininity that's a whole other conversation but every time i rip off the wig and get rid of my makeup sorry um there is a moment of kind of internal peace um where I am completely, I feel flat. Um, And I think it's something that maybe some people get through meditation or they get through exercising, but just that moment where you feel at peace with the world. It's a very strange experience. I don't really understand, but kind of that, you know, complete cultural reset of the body. Do you, do you think, I mean, what we were talking about then is in kind of like burning, burning it down and destroying things. Is that, you know, miniature little deaths every time you, you take off your wig and makeup? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I feel like through those miniature deaths, I've learned something new every time, you know, be it, oh, that person. Uh, it, pe- drag is distortion in, you know, uh in the reality of the everyday um, for both an audience and for me. Uh, So when you create that level of distortion, people act in interesting ways. And I can find out more about people in five minutes as a drag queen than I can, you know, in years of being just Ashley. Isn't it funny how, how death is like the biggest worst thing that can happen yet? Tiny deaths, little deaths, <laughs> they're the best things. No, absolutely. But um, it's, another, it's another part of uh, kind of Western culture, this idea that death is the worst thing. Um, I've been thinking about death being like 
the best thing that can happen. Why does death have to be the worst part of your existence? Right. So that's going really philosophical. (laughs) No, I like it. I like it. Doing drag, is is that a... um... Is that a part-time job? Is that a gig? Is that a paid yeah, abso- gig? Yeah, absolutely. Um, could, you, could you tell me about when you started it and how it's progressed? Yes. So um, the first time I did drag was at End of the Road Festival 2018. Um, and it was a very important moment for me because I was feeling comfortable with myself, wanted to try drag, but needed a space in which I was comfortable in to perform it so end of the road festival is kind of has been a festival that i enjoyed immensely and kind of is the are the crowds that are interested in happiness um and i was very lucky to have the opportunity to do drag there and i just remember going to see was it the ocs um at end of the road and in drag and that was a totally different experience from not being in drag and I think I could move more freely and experience the music far stronger than before would you say did it was it kind of heightening your senses yeah yeah that's that's exactly what it is it does heighten the senses and the impact it had on the people around me as well their senses were heightened because someone is not performing the usual routine so like you know going back to that moment of invention um you know suddenly you're in a gig and there's a drag queen next to you who's doing some ridiculous kind of leg flick somewhere um and that moment of distortion creates a moment of difference that i think creates a can make for a more interesting experience and and so when you got home from from end of the road 2018 did you think i want to do this more often yeah definitely it it something that i wanted to work on and get better at and kind of um it it helped me understand my independence from happiness because happiness had been a safe space for me um and also a space in which I, you know, I was able to perform, but I didn't have to express my identity because I was just the drummer in many respects. Um, and so drag kind of became an opportunity for me to explore my own artistry and creativity outside of happiness. And then I was able to bring that back into happiness when I realized that I could inject that artistry into the music and the performance. Um, and so did that did that take over from some other part-time jobs that you were working and you know from a purely sort of financial point of view and obviously as a from a cultural point of view it sounds like the most liberating thing that then one one can achieve. Yeah, um I wish it had taken over other part-time jobs. The problem with drag is the amount you spend on it. Um so now I've got like two wardrobes and I've got a huge amount of makeup and, um, you know, a huge amount of shoes. Um, so the drag kind of similar, similar to the music, it kind of becomes a, um, a practice that pays for itself. Um, and the way I 
the way I make money for that is through tutoring. And what, and what do you tutor? Geography. Um, so yeah, having done a degree in geography, that kind of, I'm incredibly lucky that I managed to finish that degree because uh, a lot and a lot of my other friends in bands didn't didn't have time to go to university or were at university and then dropped out. So uh, yeah, I count myself incredibly lucky that I can do tutoring here and there um, on my own kind of time frame rather than have to do shifts at a pub, which a lot of my other bandmates end up doing. Do you um, schedule the tutoring yourself or are you part of a, a company, part of a school? So there, are, there are agencies that exist that um, help find, you know, the students will go to these agencies and then agencies will pass jobs on to me. And then if they work for my schedule or... Um, and tutoring's fairly flexible in that way. Like I can, I can choose pretty much what hours I want to do and you know in the school holidays we can catch up more um and you know if I'm on tour and they miss a a few weeks of tutoring um it's an interesting one because tutoring is a supplementary part of the education system like it's 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 (laughs) it's there's a certain family who'll choose to have their children tutored um and largely because they don't believe in the school system or the school that they're at um so i i do feel this there is this kind of dichotomy in my head whereby i'm able to make a living from tutoring but i or i i sometimes wish i could just explain to <laughs> parents that the school know better i i'm not a teacher um teacher's job is to understand you know, um, ability and level. Um, I don't understand those. I can help someone with revision and um, explain things to them, but sometimes it, I, yeah, I just kind of feel a bit useless doing tutoring. But um, that's the same with any job, I guess. <laughs> right. I was about to say, you know, it sounds to me like maybe you find it a bit difficult to just kind of leave it as it is and be like, you know, fuck it. They're giving me fifteen pound an hour or whatever. Uh, yeah, no, I that that is the kind of you get you get invo- I get involved in people's not actively, but you know you become involved in people's lives in that way. You go into their homes, you meet their parents, you hear about their school experience. So I do enjoy the element of almost being a mentor to some of these children. Um, and it is very rewarding on that sense when I can explain something to them, explain something to them that they might not have grasped at school. Um, but yeah, sometimes I do feel like I'm just kind of there for adult baby care, basically (laughs) teenage baby care, teenage child or like adult creche or something like that. How did you find adjusting to touring life? When when did um what was the first year that you, you and um you know the the two bandmates at the time when you thought okay shit this is this is taking over you know we kind of have to make some compromises here and big decisions. Yeah, um I think it was 2014. Uh we did our first long tour was supporting Ezra Furman. Um which was really fun and that was 
very interesting experience because we were just starting out and Ezra and the rest of the band were on literally on the brink of quitting. This was going to be their last tour. And and um somehow the tour reinvigorated their energy for it and thanks to a few DJs like Mark Riley, Steve Lamack, um some people at Radio 6 it 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 just kind of kicked off from that moment. Um so it was really it was a really sobering experience cuz we were so excited to get on tour finally. Um and with a band that actually we wanted to tour with cuz often you're put on support slots that are a bit that don't necessarily fit. Um, I know that very well. And yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's a like it it's a soul destroying experience. Mm-hmm. Um but this this was this was great and we from a it was a you know it was the first time we kind of experienced the friendship that you can build on that tour and you know it's a friendship that I don't think us or Ezra and his band will ever forget because we were part of that kind of re relighting their excitement for it. Um, everything. Had they announced that they were going to break up? No, they were. I just remember on, you know, the second day speaking to the drummer, a great guy called Sam who was saying, okay, yeah, you know, this record, it's probably going to be the last I just wanted my name on one more vinyl and then I was going to, you know, sack it off and go back to something more steady. Mm. And um, I don't know whether not to an extent our kind of energy as well helped them, you know, f- feel some enjoyment from touring. Um, yeah, it's it's a relationship that you don't build you, that you don't necessarily build with it that i would consider them them some of my closest friends despite never seeing them because they live in america yeah but that touring yeah. relationship is something completely different because you are you are you're an island just traveling around the uk you're you're in your own time space you're in your own kind of bubble and um it's really exciting uh but it has its, it does have its downsides. Like I didn't realize that I would have to rid myself of all, like the only things that I need to live now are a toothbrush and deodorant. I can do anything, anything on like, as long as I've got a toothbrush and deodorant and there are, and you know, living that existence is very, is, is difficult. It's difficult to suddenly drop everything. Like you, you don't want to take shampoo because it's just going to spill. You don't want to take shower gel because it will probably be at the hotel. Um, you know, if you take your laptop, you're risking it getting destroyed. Um, there's just a lot of things that you have to get rid of. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, which um, which I do enjoy now too much. <laughs> So that so that kind of lit a fire. I mean, it's 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 almost it sounds almost like you know when you start like this kind of uh, relationship that you know you shouldn't, but you just can't stay away. 
yeah it's it's very exciting on that front i mean um it the first time is always the most exciting and then it does kind of lose its appeal in some way um and then then it started to become difficult um you you're spending 24 hours literally every minute of every day with the same three or four people and there's no space to yourself so i encourage bands who are going on tour to find 10 minutes somewhere so they can just find space for themselves um i think it's really important uh whether that means like getting up 10 minutes earlier or you know taking yourself out of the room for a moment i think it's really important to everyone have to have their own independent space on tour because what happened with happiness or one of the aspects was that no one was allowed to take themselves out in order to come back stronger because by mm-hmm. it, if you were taking yourselves out you were letting every, everyone else down um and then when no one feels like they can escape that's when things get nasty and that changed when you became a, a duo i think there was a tour in a specific tour in america where um yeah the, it became clear that the three was not going to function mm. forever um it you know we as we said it's a difficult lifestyle and i think it became clear that the touring lifestyle was not he benji wasn't able to handle it and i think it's worth pointing out here actually kind of specifically the facts that you know your friend's band loses a member you know, okay, whatever, they'll find another member. But when you're in that, when you're in that, it's just such a completely different thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's more than a marriage. I know that sounds ridiculous, but when you're touring, you know, you're, sleep- you're sleeping in the be- same bed as people. You're literally, on when it's on a budget in particular, you know, there are, there are married couples that don't nearly spend as much time together as touring bands do. And that's going to have a huge knock-on effect. I mean, it's not even knock-on effect. It's direct effect to, to your, you know, let's put it bluntly, but your, but your health. Yeah. Um, and I think we're, we're getting to a point where kind of bands' mental health is being recognised more and more. Uh, but there's still a long way to go, that's for sure. I don't know if you've experienced this, but when you go to Europe, the care that they give touring musicians is tenfold better than the uk or the us why is it that the eu can offer uh places to stay can offer better food can offer higher fees than the uk and the us i think uh like i asked i asked myself this question every time i tour um and i think you know there are lots of factors involved but i think one of the most important ones is uh, or there are two important ones. I think one of them is that the EU provides necessary funding for small art venues. Yeah, there'll um, be a squat and the Arts Council will be able to give them a thousand euros. Yes. Um, so that needs to change. Um, and that's only going to come from, you know, top level government. The other thing that needs to change is that I think there's an attitude in the UK and the US that somehow you should feel um, you should be thankful to the venue that they're letting you play there. Right. I, in Europe, there's a different experience 
the venue is thankful that you have turned up and brought the audience in and created an an enjoyable night for some reason in the uk and the us the promoters and kind of venues they seem to they don't you know it's it's not a community it doesn't work together uh so Mm -hmm. i think there's got to be some changes uh, on that level and you know i think there's kind of a history of uk exceptionalism or imagined exceptionalism in music and arts that the outcome of which is that we think we're better than other places and i think that trickles down into the venues and um promoters and unfortunately agents as well so yeah i don't know how you change that kind of culture i suppose people have been trying to change it over years with raising ticket prices yeah i'm i i don't think that's going to create that sense of community as well i i it's it's hard to explain but when you turn up at a venue in in nuremberg nuremberg let's say for example um the promoter has already set out some food for you because they know you've traveled a few hours that would that never mm. happens in in the UK and if it does it's hummus and dip no chip, chips right. and dip crisps and dip mm. um and yeah there just needs to be a an attitude shift i think because the you know i don't we don't want to reach a point where people don't want to tour cuz it just becomes a grueling experience there is that kind of stark reality is you grow up with the older people at school and you're like you know are their bands going on tour and you're like wouldn't it be so cool if you know us and our friends did that and you get to it and you're like oh fuck yeah <laughs> there's a you know you, at which you know there, there is so much so this kind of like paradox isn't that because everyone around it i know a lot of people who will let other people believe that they're doing really well whereas they're not in reality oh of course yeah yeah it's uh i've done that certainly fake it till you make it though right um that kid's just a ghost in a sheet yeah there's 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 got to be an uh, an element of fake it till you make it but it's difficult to especially when another uh, another band will come up to me and be like how did it happen or how did you get this and the reality is just not that you know it's going to break the people (laughs) um you know i don't i don't want to turn around and say um you know oh how why you you know how did you make floater oh i don't want to turn around and say that it was literally like jumping from rehearsal room to rehearsal room and getting gear stolen in northampton and me going through therapy to you know be at peace with my gay self um you know it's difficult um so i try you know you put a nice sheen on it um to kind of make it seem like it's all okay i guess <laughs> but it doesn't everyone do that yeah everyone, any any job i think people will give you give you a uh a small portion of what the reality is isn't this why it's the, it's the classic thing that when you're younger, you know, you don't really know what your what your dad or, your, or what your parents do, 
Um, and probably maybe perhaps a reason for that is because they don't want to sell you in, in layman's terms, you know? Yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. they're doing that to you. I mean, uh, hope, hope is so important to wanting yeah. to do something. And when, when you shatter those hopes, I remember like I, you know, so many times I sat with, you know, when we were 16, we went in with a couple of producers. This was in different bands I was in. And I remember one producer who, you know, had a successful career. He'd worked with, um, was it Grizzly Bear? Um, you know, he was he was making a name for himself. And he just, he literally turned around and said, you're not going to make any money doing this. There's no point in doing it, really. Um, you should probably give up. And I, you know, I felt so depressed by that and yeah if you you have to you know when young bands come through you have to give them the chance to be able to be successful rather than shutting them down at first notice and i think right i don't want to sound patronizing and be like oh i know how it works and you know you don't understand how it works but so I just try and maintain kind of the nice sheen. <laughs> Enlightening experiences can be quite often balanced out with the um, with the cold, stark reality. <clears throat> yeah. And so, you know, who's anyone to tell someone one means more things than the other? You know, mm. I, I, I think, you know, how old are you? Could I ask you about? I'm 28. I wonder if, I wonder how many musicians have, have, you know, maybe felt a nagging thing inside of them being like, shit, you know, did I, did I completely misdirect the aim of, of, of my twenties? And I mean, truth be told is that that can never be an answer and you're probably, you're going down the wrong direction. If Doesn't you- everyone misdirect the aim of their twenties? Well, right. This is it. And it's probably not <laughs> worth bearing thinking about because. No, because you'll just want to kill yourself. Right. And you have to keep the hope and you have to keep the hope alive. I mean, um, every time I come to release an album, I'm always like, this is it. This is this is this is the moment. And then it kind of passes by. And you're like, oh, okay, that happened then. Um I struggled about um yeah, five years ago or so I, I would have struggled looking towards this time, I would have struggled massively with it. But I've come to peace with the idea that this is something that I have to do. It's not something I can just give up. The excitement and enjoyment I get from performing and that like moment of creation, just going back to the beginning and, you know, um, there's a certain feeling that I get when suddenly something comes into existence that hasn't existed before. And that moment's very special to me. Um, and alongside that, the element of performance, I've, you know, I always, when I think, when I look back at my childhood, the moment, like, I was, you know, a very nervous, anxious person because I didn't want anyone to know I was gay. The only time that I got the opportunity to be myself was on stage. Um, mm. So I, I have a, just an internal like need for performing and 
the markers of success are in the like eye of the beholder. So, you know, there are lots of bands who I talk to for whom, you know, selling a lot of records is a marker of success. For me, um, if, you know, especially since we've started incorporating drag, um, the number of people who, for whom they have felt spoken to or given space to through my performance that's that's what's most important to me i'm not sure if there's anything better than empowering other people yeah absolutely giving other people like hope giving other people something to dig and emulate i suppose because the best things in in, in the best bands that i've that have really actually kind of given me a reason to live at times have made me feel that way yeah and happiness is something that has given me reason to live so you know i'm not gonna let the fact that I haven't got that dream that a lot of the industry portrays, the fact that I haven't got that dream, you know, existence, that doesn't bother me. Well, you can't go wrong. You're doing you. Yeah, you can't go yeah, wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is the main message. You've hit the nail on the head there. Is like so many bands get lost in in the industry. Um whatever intentions they started with, uh, it does become difficult to maintain what you first wanted from it. And I feel like I'm getting back to that point. Ash, this has been an amazing chat. I'm really looking forward to to seeing you. Yeah, um, I hope that... And and I'll say hi. Yeah, let's do all the hanging when it's possible because I need human company. And I have really, like, just the very, like, being able to hug someone when you meet them. Can't do that right now. Is there anything going on right now that you, have, that you haven't told any other press people? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, there's a new t-shirt out on Bandcamp. Um, Oh, okay. No, I've got it. There's going to be a deluxe version of Floater coming out later this year with with new tracks. Amazing, cool. And do you know when that's going to be announced? Uh, I think ASAP. Cool. And and the new tracks. Can you tell me about those? Yeah. So um, the Floater recording sessions, if you like, uh, brought together twenty songs or so, all of which were mixed, um, and then we kind of went through like a slash and burn phase um, and kind of jigged about the order so much and cut songs because we realized that people really only can concentrate for about 40 minutes. (laughs) Um, So yeah, there are some really interesting songs that will be released later this year. Um, And I think... possibly yeah some of the like ones that um at the time we thought weren't as strong but i really like the songs um, nice how, how many how many new songs hopefully four there may be more cool um so yeah we'll keep you updated on that go back to the doll queue Please don't tell P from the pub Because he'll judge me But I don't mind 
I've been paying my taxes on time I'm not central, not essential I've never worked for the NHS Yeah, I've clapped hands and I beat pants Put away the kitchen utensils now Don't let your P45 give you chills Because we need jobs We need 101 part-time jobs